We're taking a quick break from our current study, 1 Corinthians, since as today is Mother's Day. And since today is Mother's Day, I'd like to look at a lady of faith. So if you would turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 16, we'll read verses 11 through 15, Acts 16. Well, today we'll be looking at, as you see up here on the screen, the faith of Lydia. Not much is known about Lydia other than what we see in Acts chapter 16. We don't even know if she was a mother. We don't. We don't know if she was even married. If she was married, it seems like the text is showing that she would have been a widow. So we don't know for sure. So why are we talking about Lydia if we're not sure about these things? Because she was a woman of faith that we can all learn from, regardless of your stage, whether you are male or female. She's someone that we can emulate. She's a godly woman that we can learn from, and I hope this text will be an encouragement to you today. So in our reading, look at Acts chapter 16, verses 11 through 15. We'll read starting in verse number 11. So, so setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and found the day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in the city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the woman who had come together. One who had heard of us was a, was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. After she was baptized in her household, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. There are a couple of things to point out here before we get into the outline. First is that this is Paul's first entrance into Europe. This is, he's now in Philippi, which is in modern-day Greece. It's about 250 miles west of Istanbul, about 225, 225 miles northeast of Athens. So that kind of helps you out. Philippi was, as verse 12 noted, it's a Roman colony. It was a trade route on the Ignatian Way. The, the Ignatian Way was basically their version of a superhighway. It was 700 miles long, 20 feet wide. This is back then, 700 miles long, 20 feet wide wide. And this was one of the stops on the Ignatian Way. In that sense, it was a great trade route. It was also then a fantastic place for the spread of the gospel. And that's one of the reasons Paul went there. Verse 14 shows us that Lydia, she's not from Philippi, but that she is from the city of Thyatira. Thyatira is in Turkey. It's about 50 miles northeast of Ephesus. If you're looking on a map today, look up the city Izmir, and that's where uh, Ephesus is. But her name is Lydia. She comes from Thyatira. Thyatira was a city in the region known as Lydia. So like you naming your child Rockbridge, her name is Lydia. It's named after the very region from which she was from. And that region she was from, specifically the city of Thyatira, was known for a skill. What was that skill? Making purple dye. That's what she did. That was his skill there in that city. Homer, in writing in his book, The Iliad, pointed out that Thyatira was known for selling purple. The inscriptions that have been found in the ancient city point to that as well. Purple dye was very, very expensive. At this time, purple dye, according to some, was going for one pound of purple dye was about equivalent to three pounds of gold. It's a lot of money, a lot of worth, because of the time it took to make this dye. But while the fuss about purple dye... So I want you to understand, part of it is just in the text. That's why we're talking about it. But it's also written by the author here, Luke. He, he's not writing fake news. 
Okay, he is writing actual events that took place. And to do so, he's going to give you names, places, events, and even occupations. So that way, the reader, if you'd like to fact check him, if you'd like to come at him, bro, right, if you're going to fact check him, he's going to say, let me give you all the details. Let me give you all the details. And if you don't believe me, go see for yourself. The city of Thyatira, it's there. They're known for selling purple. This is where Lydia was from. You can find her in Philippi. You know what she does. So he's giving you names, dates, places. He'll continue throughout this chapter, and he does so in the whole book of Acts. He does it in the book of Luke, where he gives you names, dates, and places, so you know there's authenticity to what he's saying. That gives the reader confidence, not just in the Spirit of God, who's given us the Word, but also in the authors of the Word of God. They're not just making this up as they go. You can go there today, and you can talk to Lydia. Again, if we would have been alive at that time upon reading this, we could have gone and talked to Lydia. We could have asked her, is what he's saying true? So what story, then, is Luke telling us here in Acts 16? He's telling us about how the gospel spread throughout Europe, and it starts, as any gospel spread does, with one convert. One. Who is that one convert? We see the first convert in the continent of Europe is this lady, Lydia. What do we learn about her? First, we see that she was religious. Look at verse number 14. One who had heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. We saw early in this text that Paul went down to a place that he thought would have been a place of prayer. And that's where he found these ladies worshiping in this place of prayer. We see that Lydia was a worshiper of God. It says that here in verse number 14. She was a worshiper of of God. There was no synagogue in Philippi for Paul to go to. There was not a synagogue because most likely there was not enough Jewish men. You need to have at least 10 in order to start a synagogue. So since there's no synagogue, he went to the next best thing he could find. Where are there, where are there going to be true worshipers of Jehovah that may be still waiting for the Messiah that I can tell them the Messiah has come? So he goes down to the river and he finds these ladies worshiping there. They're possibly at the river because they would use a site with water for ritual washing or cleansing. Whatever the reason, the ladies are down there to pray. They're down there to worship God. And she would worship God as others would. Lydia would pray as others would. She worshiped God, yet she did not know him. That's what you need to understand. You can come to church and come to church and come to church and come to church and come to church. You can sing. You can pray. You can worship and be lost. You can be unsaved. This is the spot Lydia finds herself in, although unknowingly. She's trying to do the best she could with what she had. She's trying to worship the one true God, the great I am, not knowing his son had come and given his life for her. So how did she come to know the Lord? We see, secondly, not only was she religious, but then... She was saved. Look at verse 14. Again, she was a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said to Paul. How did Lydia come to know the Lord as her Savior? The Lord opened her heart to believe the good news of the gospel that was preached by Paul, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Why did the Lord have to open her heart to begin with? Paul tells us in Romans 3, none is righteous. No, 
Not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All, me and you, friend, all have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. No one is righteous, Paul states. No one seeks God. In Ephesians 2, Paul tells us that we are all dead in our trespasses in sin. So how does one go from not seeking God, not wanting to seek God, and being dead in their sins? How does somebody go from that state to being alive? And a true worshiper of God, Paul continues in Ephesians 2, and we'll see in the text here, you can see in the next slide, but God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, even when we were not righteous, even when we wouldn't seek him, he made us alive together with Christ. Verse 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, it's a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one would boast. Look what it says here. It says God's grace, God's salvation, even the faith we possess are a gift from God. Why? So we might believe him. Why would God grant us faith, grace, mercy, and salvation to those who would not seek him? Why would God grant grace, faith, and mercy to the dead? Because he is rich. He is rich in mercy. Because he exudes, he abounds in love. Why would he make the dead alive? Why would he take those that are his enemies and make them not just his friends, but his family? Because he's merciful. Because he's loving. Praise God didn't just do this for Lydia, but for all. Right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Why did God open Lydia's heart? Because he's merciful and he loves her. Friend, you may be here with your mom. You may be here because of your mom. You may be here because this is what you used to do with your mom, but you need to understand there is a God, and he loves you. He is rich in mercy. God's mercy is God keeping from you what you deserve. As sinners against the holy God, we deserve death in hell and punishment, total separation away from him. But his mercy can keep you from that. His grace, which you read in this text, God giving you what you do not deserve. His mercies, he's keeping from you what you do. God's grace is God giving to you what you do not deserve. So instead of punishment for our sins, he says, not only will I give you salvation, not only will you become my friend, you will become my son. You will become my daughter. You will become a joint heir with Christ. Come into my ever lasting arms I'm rich in mercy I'm abounding in love come alive friend you may have come to church a hundred times just like Liddy went down to the river 
Sabbath after Sabbath, and yet still not know this mercy. You could come to church a thousand times, hear message after message, and still not know this love. Friend, I encourage you, if you're here and you do not know the Lord, may today be the day of salvation for you. We see she was religious. That was not enough. But then she was saved. Once she was saved, what happens next? We see number three here. She was obedient. Look at verse 15. And after she was baptized. We don't know if her baptism was immediate, if it was that very moment. We don't know if it took place a couple days later, a week later, on the very next Sabbath. We don't know. We don't have the details of this. What we do know, however, is that she obeyed. She obeyed. What did she have to obey? Christ told his disciples, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I command, and behold, I'm with you even to the end of the age. After her heart was open to believe, she accepted Christ. After she accepted Christ, what did she do? She was baptized. Baptism, friend, always, baptism always follows repentance. Always. Every instance in the New Testament, baptism always follows repentance. You repent and believe, and then you are baptized. And you wonder, well, what is baptism? And second, why does it follow repentance? Why not get baptized first? Why get baptized after? But what is baptism? Baptism is a picture of what Jesus has done for us. Romans 6, 4, we were buried with him by baptism into death. So Paul says we were buried with him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Just So just like Jesus was buried in the grave, Christians, believers of Christ, are buried in the water. Just like Christ rose from the grave, Christians rise out of the water to walk in this newness of life. In this way, baptism is a picture, it's a symbol of what Christ has done. In this way, a Christian identifies with their Savior. They identify with their Savior, and they also proclaim, I am His, and He is mine. But why does it follow repentance? Because of the command of Christ. He tells his disciples, go make disciples. That's the main verb. And in, in the Greek text, the verb is always the center point. It's the hub. Everything else goes outside of that. Go make disciples. Go is not the verb. Make disciples is. As you're going, make disciples. Now once I make disciples, what am I to do according to the Great Commission? Baptize, teach. That follows. You make disciples. Once they become a disciple, what do you do? You don't teach first and then make disciples. You don't baptize first and then make disciples. You make disciples. Make somebody a follower of Christ by sharing the good news. We don't save them. Our, our clever wordplay doesn't save them. God saves. So as we go and we proclaim the good news and God opens hearts like he did for Lydia, they become a disciple. What do we do now? So now that Paul sees Lydia's belief, what's his responsibility to her? Sister, you need to be baptized. And I need to teach you the word of God. So I'm going to, to immerse you, just as the son was immersed in the grave, and then he rose from the dead. So you too, sister, I'm going to baptize you. I'm going to immerse you, just like Jesus was immersed in the grave. I'm going to bring you out. 
just like he was raised from the grave, and then I'm going to immerse you in his teachings so that you can obey him. That's what we're to do. Make disciples, then baptize, then teach. That's what we're supposed to do. Baptism always follows repentance. Lydia's heart was open, she believed, but what's her very next step? She obeys. Lord, whatever you want me to do, I will obey. We see also number four that she was a witness. After she was baptized and her household as well. She was baptized and there were those in her household that accepted Christ and were baptized as well. I mentioned earlier she, if she was married, she was most likely a widow. How do we know that? Because it says, and her household. This is not typical. Remember, this is in a day and age where women were looked down upon. And so she, she was married. Her husband would have been a part of this statement. But he was not. And many, not just myself, believe this is pointing to either she's a widow or she's a daughter that had been left a large inheritance in this cellar. We don't know what. But her husband is not in this picture. Whatever the reason, we don't know. Her household then could have been to the servants she had as she was well-to-do. It could have been children. We don't know. Her children could have been gone at that point. What we do know is the impact she had after she followed the Lord that led others to do the same. And that way she was a great witness, especially in this culture, as you'll see in some cultures in Asia, where you'll see the leader of the family, when he makes a decision, the family will follow suit because it's just tied to their father or their mother, depending on what culture you're in. And this is the same in this one. And they realize that's the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do. So we don't know what happened that led to this. We don't know who exactly else was baptized, but we know that she had an impact on those around her. We see also, number five, she was faithful. After she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord. It's an interesting statement because we don't know the timeline of the events. If this all happened in one day, how long have they known Lydia? hours. If this was over the course of a week or two, three weeks, because at most Paul was in Philippi for three to six months, at most, they've known her a short period of time. So how can she tell them, you know I'm faithful to the Lord? On what basis could she say that with knowing somebody so little? How could they make that kind of judgment call so quickly? One author said, Lydia indicates that the missionaries, Paul and others, indeed consider her a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ because they have accepted her testimony sealed by her baptism. They knew she had professed. They knew she was willing to obey. And in seeing that step of obedience, she said, you know I am faithful to my God. You know I'm faithful. What he's asked me to do thus far, I've done everything. And in that sense, brother and sister, you have to understand, when, when we baptize someone here in our church, you have to understand what we're doing. We're publicly affirming to all those in attendance that we believe this person is indeed a Christian. We don't save them. Baptism doesn't save them. But as one professes Christ and we see in their life the fruit that follows of just ob sheer obedience, our act then as a church of baptizing them signifies to all that we believe that what they have said is indeed true. So letting everyone know that this is what we believe. Brother or sister, you have to also then understand the importance, personally, you need to understand the importance 
of obeying the Lord by being baptized. You need to understand that importance. Baptism, baptism, as I said earlier, it always follows repentance. Baptism is always voluntary. It's never forced. Why? Because we want to see true Christians. God's children are not held under water by force. They willingly go under to show the world God has saved me and I want to identify with him. I want to be like him. I desire to be faithful to him. And in this one step of baptism, Lydia could profess th that to this point. Paul and his team knew she was faithful to the Lord. Up to this point in her walk with God, everything God had asked her to do, she did not hesitate. She did not waver. She faithfully obeyed. Friend, if you've been in church a long time, you've never followed that step. You're missing something. You're missing something. Let me encourage you, be faithful. Be faithful. We've seen people, just even in the last two and a half years, we've seen people, young and old, make that step. Don't let pride, don't let something keep you from following the Lord in this step. It's a blessing to the church. It's an encouragement to those around you. And it's something we can rejoice in with you to encourage you if you've not done that. Follow Lydia's example. Follow Lydia's example of repenting. First, know Jesus as your Savior. Second, be faithful. Just obey. Obey the Lord's commands. We see number six, she was also hospitable. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us saying, if you judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. When's the last time you had somebody over to your house for a meal that was not related to you? When's the last time? How hospitable are you? When's the last time you opened your door? When's the last time you let somebody stay in your home? Come. My home is, it's open. A step further would be, when is the last time you invited somebody to stay in your home for an indefinite amount of time that you did not know beforehand? Well, who does that? Lydia. Lydia did. Why? Her resources were not hers. The home, her nest, was not hers. This is the Lord's. What else would I do with it than care for God's people? It's all His. It's a hard question to answer. And you say, well, pastor, she was rich. She had money. That's why she could do this. And sure, she had enough room for at least four people. There were at least four men in Paul's team. You know what I found through the years? That riches rarely have anything to do with hospitality. Riches rarely. Some of the most hospitable people I know have little to nothing. I'm being honest. Riches rarely have anything to do with being hospitable. Brother and sister, is your house big enough to have people over? What's keeping you? What's keeping you? How are brothers and sisters in Christ an inconvenience to you? How are the unsaved 
an inconvenience to you. Open your doors. Invite people in. Can you imagine the blessing Lydia would have missed out on if she would have worried about the mess four men would make and they would make it? They would. Four grown men living at home. They're not going to tidy up. It's not my house. It's not my stuff. It's the Lord's. Some houses are so spick and span, that's not bad. Clean is good. But when you can't have people over because you want to keep your house clean, it's a problem. When you can't have people over because you don't keep your house clean, that's a problem. It is. I mean, you think about it, if you're just like, our house is always too messy, we can't have people over. You're not considering other people in that way. Open your doors. Open your doors. We are called to be hospitable. Romans 12, 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. When's the last time you did that? You sought out people to be hospitable to come in, come in, come in. Share a meal. We don't have much. It's not ours anyway. It's the Lord's. Seek to show hospitality like Lydia did. Again, as far as we know, these fellows could have been there three to six months. We don't know how long they were there. But her doors were open. Her home was open. You may not be able to start there. Start somewhere. Start somewhere. See, also, number seven, she was persuasive. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us, saying, if you judge me faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she prevailed upon us. She prevailed upon us. The word prevail means to compel by force. She would not take no for an answer. No, no, that's okay. And she just kept pushing and pushing and pushing. It was a pushy kindness in a good way. God had been so gracious to her that there was no one was going to keep her from going and being gracious to others. You will come home. You're coming home to my place. And this is going to be your home until whenever. I don't care. Come. No, no, no. Actually, let me rephrase that. You're coming. In fact, I already had my servants. They already got your stuff. It's already been moved. You're actually, we already have a room. It's already there. You're coming. Why? God's been gracious to me. You can't keep me from being gracious to you. It's not going to happen. My doors are open. We see also, lastly, she was valuable. Look at verse number 40. Look all the way down at the end of the chapter. So when they went out of prison and visited Lydia, and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. Right before this verse, Paul and Silas were seen being beaten and wrongfully imprisoned. After they get let out of prison, where do they go first? We go see Lydia. They don't see Lydia. She was valuable. She was valuable to the local church in Philippi because look at who else they saw when they got there when they saw Lydia. And then they had seen the brothers. They encouraged them and departed. There are many that believe that the local church of Philippi was started in Lydia's home. This is where Paul was staying. Her house was big enough to accommodate them. It's big enough to accommodate many others. That initial act of kindness, come. 
turned into that same invitation to the rest of Philippi. Come. Come to my home. Come to my home. The word of God will be preached. You will hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Come all. Come. Come. She was valuable to Paul. She was valuable to the local church. She provided them her home. And her home was at the least the place where the church started there in Philippi. What a blessing she was. So what does all this have to do with us today? There are a number of questions. Let me ask you first, friend, if you're here, do you know this Savior? You may be very religious. You may have been to church a hundred times. Lydia was also very religious. Lydia was also very lost. The demons believe and tremble. Just knowing about God is different than knowing God. Coming into this church with the children of God is different than being a child of God. Do you know this Savior? Remember, He is a God who is merciful. He's rich in mercy. He's abounding in love. Give Him your life today by repenting of your sin, trusting in Christ's work for your salvation. If you have any questions on that, please see me. See, see a fellow in your pew. Ask, hey, I have questions. How do I get to know this Savior? Second, to all those that claim to be Christians, can I ask you, let me ask you two major questions. First, have you obeyed Christ by following Him in baptism? Baptism always follows repentance. It's always voluntary. Always. Have you voluntarily went in front of a public assembly and says, I, I am His and He is mine. And I want to identify with my Savior, just like he was buried, as Romans 6, 4 says, just like he was buried, I'm going to be buried. Just like he rose, I want to rise to walk in newness of life. Brother, sister, if you're here, if you're 8 years old, or if you're 80 years old, if you've never done that, I encourage you, make that step of obedience. If you would voluntarily and willfully repent of your sins, what would keep you from voluntarily following the Lord in this step? Next, are you hospitable? Are you hospitable? Do you graciously welcome people even into your own home? I remember a church that I used to attend had small groups, and guess what houses we met in? The biggest houses our church had. Some of the biggest houses our church had were not open. Because they're really nice. A lot of nice things. One of the small groups was at a home that was just above 900 square feet. Come. What I have is yours, brother. Sister, what I have is yours. Being hospitable has nothing to do with riches. Being hospitable has to do with you understanding souls are more valuable than your home. Souls are more valuable than your home. If you want a good book to read on this, read, it's a book that came out by Rosario Butterfield called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. 
story of a lady who uh, did not believe in the biblical role of gender identity. She was a woman that loved another woman. She is part of the LGBTQ plus advocate as a professor in Syracuse. And through the hospitality of one Presbyterian minister and his bride who just welcomed her to come, come, let's talk, come, come. Let's talk, we love you. She ends up accepting Jesus, quits her job, and now she's a pastor's wife. But it started with somebody, instead of hating on them and their lifestyle, saying, sister, friend, come in. Come in. Let's talk. I love you. Here's a meal. I love you. Didn't happen overnight. Didn't happen over months. Just be hospitable. Open your doors. Show the world that your stuff is less important than they are. Open your heart. And that's where it starts. Let's bow for a word of prayer.